This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 114 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we discuss when to shoe and when not to shoe a horse. Tigapedia focuses on the differences between electrolyte supplements, table salt, and sea salt. In Critter Nutrition, we look at Lyme's disease. And in Coffee Clatch, we ask, if your dog could give you advice, what would he or she tell you? Listen in. I'm Tigger. And I'm Patty. This is Coach Jen. I'm the producer of this here circus. Thanks for tuning in to Healthy Critters Radio, which happens twice a month. And we get to chit-chat about all things whole foods, healthy critters mentally and physically. And pre-show, we were deciding what we wanted to chat about. And something (laughs) that Tigger was up to came up that had to do with oil. And I can't even pronounce what that oil was. And you were going to have an adventure. So... Can I'm just going to say here it? now, this yeah. oil adventure is G-rated family-friendly, is it? Yes, okay. yes, yes, it is. <laughs> we're not talking about Crisco okay. parties. Okay, no Crisco <laughs> So what were your oily adventures? What's going on, girl? Okay, so um, this is called Brahmi oil, B-R-A-H-M-I. It's an Ayurvedic oil that the base is coconut, and then it's two plants. One of them is Godacola. And it's really an old, old recipe for balance and coolness, keeping you, keeping your body cool and in balance. And I was really intrigued when I was reading about it. And I thought, you know, I think I, I'm going to give this a try. So I ordered some Brahmi oil from Banyan Botanicals and where I, I get other Ayurvedic supplements and things. And the, the directions are in the traditional method. After you, In the evening, after you've had a bath or a shower and your feet are clean, you take the oil and you, you massage it into your feet. And then you massage it into mm. your temples. And it's amazing. I sleep better. I, I've started, I like it so much that I'm using it as a moisturizer at night all over my face because I got bitten by some oh, spider wow. and I blew up and I look like a St. Bernard and had to go to the doctor and all that stuff. And it's, I'm still a little swollen, but anyway, I was a little stressed over the spider bite and my allergic reaction and da, 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 da. So I started my Brahmi oil and it is amazing. It's I don't know how it cools your body the way it does, but I think because it is some kind of doorway to letting the heat out at the bottom of your feet. So oh, I wonder those people that really needs to sleep in a in cold. I mean, I sleep better when it's cold than when it's hot. And it, I have slept great. The other thing I learned as a sleeping tip in the hot weather from Ayurveda is to sleep on your right side because that opens up your left nostril, 
which the left side is the moon and the moon is cooling energy. So, yeah. So I curl up and start off on the right and, and do my Brahmi oil on my feet and then my face. And, you know, I wake up feeling really good. And I, and maybe part of it is that sort of little self care, you know, rubbing the oil into your feet is just a little bit of taking care of yourself in a way, and putting your intention into into that. Maybe it would be the same if I used, you know, sesame oil. Crisco. Oh no. So yeah. I have a question. So do you put it on the tops of your feet, on the bottoms of your All feet? Over, bottom, All over, top. And it soaks right oh, in. Wow, wow. It doesn't, um, and you don't need much. I mean, you know, coconut oil at 78 degrees becomes a liquid. So right now in my house, because it's at 78 degrees, if I dip my finger in the jar, it's just all oil. And then I just work it on the soles of my feet and my toes and over the top of my feet and around my ankles. And I would say in a couple of minutes, it's dried. So if you use, I was just thinking about that going, okay, you use a little too much and you go to stand up to walk across the bedroom and zing, dry. splat. You, you know, you have a, a, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon moment. And <laughs> well, I, I do it while I'm watching TV. No, no, so what does it smell like? And- What's it smell like? It smells like herbs. It okay. doesn't have an overriding floral. It's a little bit more neutral and woody. But I, I highly recommend it in this heat wave as just a little bit of self-care and it really helps you sleep. So if it helps cool the body, can I just put it over my entire body? Can I do that? No. It, <laughs> it, it's the head and the foot to let the heat it direct the heat out of the body. Right. But go to cola, which is one of the ingredients is really good for the brain. It's very good memory. And, and maybe that has a lot to do with why I'm sleeping so well and having awesome dreams. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so speaking of feet, we've got a horse feet topic today. Yeah. Yes, we do. And one of the top five ways to get a group of, of horse people to get angry at each other is to talk about whether or not they should have their horses should have shoes on. So thanks a lot, Tigger. <laughs> so <funny>. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the reason that this really came to mind is in the summer, we see a lot more abscesses. We see a lot more hoof cracks. We see a lot more hoof issues and I, I just want to take the position of, I have no dog in this fight. <laughs> my, <laughs> my position is... If you could, if you could what, see behind the scenes right now, soon, everybody, man. you would know why we're laughing, but continue. Yeah, too soon. <laughs> too soon, man. Um, too soon. <laughs> uh, I, I do think to shoe or not to shoe is, is, an, is up to the individual horse. And it's not a blanket, all horses should be barefoot or all horses should be shod. I don't fall into either one of those camps. I fall into what's best for that individual horse. So 
with that being said, Patty P. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting um, that you would bring this up um, because the current young horse that I have right now is quite an exceptional mover. He's four years old, but he doesn't have shoes on. And my fairy who keeps keeps telling me, he's like, and it's a real big deal here, which at first, I, when I first <laughs> moved to this part of Texas, I was, you know, wondering about this, but they really, a lot of the fairies just don't like to put hind shoes on. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because, you know, it's dry and if you kick it flies, whatever, I'm not sure, but it's kind of a thing here, which of course is less expensive for, you know, um, the horse owner, but, but the, you know, when I brought my, my young guys here, I, you know, I kept thinking, you know, I'll probably eventually put shoes on it, but I've got to tell you, um, when you see this horse move, it never even enters my mind. Cause a lot of times, I mean, obviously there's different reasons to put, you know, shoes on obviously for protection or to make them to change a little bit the way they move. If you want like maybe a little bit more in the action, you put a heavier shoe on. And I've always just sort of done it when they were about four coming five, maybe five, put them on the front and then eventually on the back for stability. So, I mean, I, I say I've always done that, but then there's been some different things introduced to me. Martin Schout, who is, um, was a German team rider. I had the a privilege to train with him in Florida on about six of the, uh, the stallions that I was riding. And he, uh, we had one horse that was having some trouble really getting really jumping through in the changes. And he said, pull pull behind shoes. So it was just sort of interesting, like that sort of trend kind of was in my mind, not to remove the front shoes, but I, I just, I'm much more open to it than I used to was, I was always just sort of, I think Tigger, we were both kind of raised this way. You get to a certain point, you put the shoes on, you, you know, you get all freaked out when you live in Virginia, when it starts to rain, if you, if you're one of the people that turn your horses out because their shoes get sucked right off and you always go through that. But I have to tell you, it is absolutely refreshing not having to worry about that. (laughs) Now, obviously if my, if this, if this horse at any point ever shows differently, which I don't know why you would, because it's hoof structure, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I would say, you know, I would check in with me on that one in three years, but I don't know that I'll put shoes on. So I'm kind of in that, but I mean, totally agree with you, Tigger. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't care one way or the other with this, but it is so nice to not have to worry about is the, is the foot, you know, getting jammed. Are they doing it right? You know, and of course you still have to worry about the palmer angle. And I know when they're barefoot, you still need to x-ray them, you know, really once a year, if you can, especially if they can't get shot on even surfaces, but you know, but I'm, I'm digging this Uh, just, you know, from the, not even so much from the cost perspective, but really from, you know, just not having to worry about the health of the, of the foot when it's that nice. So it's kind of nice. So what about you, Jennifer? What do you feel? Um, I have, and always have fallen in the category like you two of, there's no, there's no template. Some horses need shoes. Some horses don't need shoes. Some horses need shoes sometimes and not others there. And you have to let it up to the individual horse and whatever his job is. But one thing I cannot negotiate is the quality of work that gets done. I am the Mm -hmm. biggest barrier snob ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new term. I've never heard well, it. Farrier snob. I am the big, I've I I fired more farriers. I, they probably have my picture 
on the wall in the bathroom of the American Farriers Association. That was you. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I am the biggest farrier snob. It, I don't I don't care what you're doing. If you're trimming the, the feet of an old retiree that barely moves 10 steps a day, or you are putting a new set of shoes on the American Pharaoh, if it's not done to exacting mm-hmm. and precise standards, you're getting a boot. Just that's me. I can't, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's just great. me. Yeah. Um, and I, I like to think I can recognize quality work versus something that looks pretty. And that, that's, that's the, the latest thing in the, in the biz, it seems. It has to look pretty. So that when the foot is on the ground and you're standing in front of it, you go, ooh, and it looks like something that ought to be on a briar horse. It's all smooth and shiny. And when, in fact, you take an x-ray or you watch the horse move. Or, or you just look at the angles. Or, and you look at the angles. Or you, or you look at the foot yeah. before it's trimmed and then after it's trimmed and go, oh, my God. What have you just done? Six months later, nine months later, 12 months later, the horse is lame. Well, I wonder why. Well, look, his pulver angles are way off. I wonder how that happened. Because yep. the guy doing the trimming yeah. left again. But, you know, so I'm just an absolute fanatic when it comes to the work mm. that's done. And one of the things that my way back in the day, I kind of got spoiled because we had a farrier who was a blacksmith as well as a farrier, as well as a horseman. He trained and raced standard breads in addition to doing his farrier work. And it was his policy that he watched every horse move every time he saw the horse. He could be trimming, he could be doing the same horse for five years. Every X number of weeks when he came out to see that horse, he had to watch that horse go. You know, Tim Ober, Dr. Tim Ober, long time ago, convinced me to pull Lion's Shoes for the winter, for three months. And Lion was, you know, he had the world's worst feet. And, of course, for for weeks, you know, he was in Mac boots because he was so yeah, foot sensitive. And, but let me tell yeah. you, after those three months, I went, I get it. I get it. His mm-hmm. foot was so much better. Now it hadn't, it wasn't in terms of growth because it was the winter, but it was in terms of how it contacted the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the difference between a person walking across a lumpy, bumpy surface in a in pair, high heels. Yeah. In high heels. <laughs> or if you're wearing a pair of ballet flats versus a yeah. pair of hiking boots, what you yep. feel against the ground is going to be very, right. very different depending upon what's nailed there or if there's anything yep. nailed there or glued there or attached there, it's going to mm-hmm. be make a big difference. Mm-hmm. That's interesting yeah. that you made that very important observation because a lot of people will go on about how they take the shoes off for a month or for three months. No. And their feet are, I'll use my air quotes, so much better. When in fact, what they're looking at on the ground is not the foot that came out when his, he was barefoot. That's the foot that came out while he was still shod. So yeah. you can't change yeah. the quality of it. It's already grown. No. But the horse is going to care. If if there's an issue with what he was wearing that you've taken off, he's probably going to carry himself better. He's going to have better yep. circulation because of it. And yep. that's what you're seeing, not the fact that his hoof horn suddenly and magically 
No, but there there is definitely an improvement in the frog. Sure. Because it's getting circulation from the ground. Because that grows from the inside out. So you're going to see better growth. For in and I back in a, baz- a bazillion years ago, in the seventies, dressage horses often competed even at the highest levels. Dare Unshod. I say it? Barefoot. But can't tell yeah. you the last time I saw an upper level horse barefoot. That just doesn't. I happen. think part of the problem is the 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 manufactured footing. You know, we know that yeah. that that affects shoulders and joints and backs. And, you know, Tim Ober, and I know he said this to you, Patty, how important it is to get horses on different surfaces. Don't just ride in the, yeah, get out on the grass, get out, walk on asphalt. Um, The heart helps harden the tendons. And I think one of the reasons that, that dressage horses are shot all the way around predominantly has to do with the footing. Hmm, very interesting. I think that hmm. that would it, there's no way to quantify that without spending lots of money no. on a study. But it's, it's very an, it's a, a very interesting point of view. I would not have thought of that. But hmm. I see we see so many problems with makes sense though. with this footing. I mean, it's it's great. It's fluffy. It's nice to ride on for sure. But it does have ramifications. Yeah. And you know who really feels yeah. it a lot of the jumpers because when they land. And they're landing on one leg first. All that compression is going into a manufactured surface. It's not going into turf. Mother the earth, as, mm. essentially. Oh, well, there we go. So that's a good. That's a good. Look at look at us having a discussion on horses being shod, and none of us has unfriended <laughs> and not the other an on argument. Facebook. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, but I'm not talking to either one of you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag, okay, let's all be I'm adults kidding. here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and speaking of adults, I think, we need, I, think, I think we need to call the, the only adult head in the room head. and call Hedwig. Yes, yeah. head. Uh. Hello? Hedy! Hello, everybody in pod world. <laughs> I am here today. This is Hedwig, as you, I'm sure, are aware. I am here today to introduce you to my new sister, who is neither really my sister nor that new, but she's a slow learner, so just be patient, eh? And she is a small Pomeranian who came from another puppy mill, different one than mine, but came from the same puppy mill as He's Blossom. They joined our family three months ago or so, and they were in a bit of a state, maybe we could say. They were biters. Yeah, pretty fierce biters. And you couldn't touch them, and they were covered in bees. They were disgusting, and they were so scared. But now, now they have learned about the ice cream and the cheese and the peanut butter and the spoiling. And so they've pretty much entered our realm. But I wanted you to meet Mustard Tea because she's so funny. So funny. Okay, here she is. Are you ready? We're ready. Mustard Tea, you have to come. You have to come by the radio. Oh, no. Um, um, what's, what's that? Is it, is it wonton? Parenthesis. In her language, wonton is good. This is because she likes to eat wonton. 
So the whole world is divided. Wonton, not wonton. And parenthesis, yes, little friend, this is good. Wonton. Mm, okay. Wonton. Hmm, I'm creeping forth on my tiny, adorable feet. Okay. Yes. What? What now? What to do? I'm going to ask you questions. Do try to keep up. Oh, oh, oh okay. Right. What questions? What questions? I'm very fierce, you know. Yes, well, I wanted to ask about your ferocity because one of the things that has most impressed me is your willingness to play with my gator toy. And all of my listeners will remember that I so wanted an alligator. I just wanted my own alligator and then it came and I was scared out of my mind. So how do you do it? I just, I stand on it and then I grab its face with my teeth. And then I make it go squeak, 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 squeak. That's how I do it. But how did you know that it wouldn't harm you? You're a seven-pound, what do you call yourself again? Oh, gargasquid, right? Because you're a gargoyle <laughs> and you can get out of anywhere. So you're also a squid. So you're a gargasquid. Uh, you're a seven-pound gargasquid standing on an alligator, biting its face. Don't you feel like that might be a little risky? Um, no, I'm so fierce. I'm fiercey fierce. That's how I'm just so tough. I'm so tough. I'm seven pounds of pure ferocity. It's me. Don't touch me. Wait, what's that? A plant? Oh, God. I have to go. I have to go. Where's my squeaky toy? Well, there you go. You can see what it's like here. It's like a roller coaster of emotions every day. But she's charming, and I think we'll be hearing more from her as she gets more normal. I'll be holding my breath, won't you? Well, I, I'm sure you will guide her into heady world. Yeah, I'm doing my best. She's a complete <laughs> Good. loon. Good job, Hetty. Thank you. <laughs> Good job, So we are at our Tigopedia section of the program and thought that this would be a really great question about electrolytes, table salt, and sea salt for horses this time of year and just knew that you would have tons of info, Tigs. <laughs> it, it's actually not like that, like, that complicated. <laughs> well, but if you don't know... Because there's things about table salt versus sea salt. Yes, or there are, there are definitely differences. So. so there are five main electrolyte minerals required by horses. Sodium, chloride, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Now, the sources of these minerals can be from the earth, which is table salt, also, most uh, supp- uh, electrolyte supplements are from mined minerals, or they can be from the ocean, mm-hmm. and that would be sea salt. Himalayan salt is actually mine and uh, ancient saltwater deposits, so it's a little combination of both. But let's talk about table salt and sea salt. Table salt generally has added iod- 
iodine. Sea salt mm-hmm. contains iodine, but in much smaller amounts than what is added to table salt. So if you, for instance, have a horse with maybe a low thyroid or an easy keeper, iodine is very good for the thyroid. I, I personally use kelp, which is a very rich source of iodine. But table salt, because it's added, also is. But the thing about table salt is that it's bleach. That's why it's so white and clean and pure. Sea right, salt yeah, yeah. Is, is really gray. True sea salt is gray in color. And it's just dried by the sun. A lot of sea salt that okay. you see in grocery stores, which is white, crystal pure white tends to be, you know, they've added some, some bleaching agent to make it look that way because true sea salt is gray. The advantages of sea salt, in my opinion, over just straight electrolytes or table salt, and table salt is generally sodium and chloride, doesn't have calcium, doesn't have magnesium, doesn't have potassium is that all those electrolyte minerals are in sea salt. Not the bleached white kind, the gray sea salt, known as Celtic sea salt. And there are also 72 trace minerals in that salt. So the thing about table salt is it's, it, it's refined and bleached, and they only are pulling out sodium chloride. Sea salt gives you sodium, right, chloride, okay. potassium, magnesium, and calcium, plus the trace minerals. So for me, it's a way better mm-hmm. salt and electrolyte source. And the other factor right. that makes, for me, sea salt a winner is the pH of sea salt is exactly the same as the pH of the horse's blood. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So electrolytes and supplements in most supplements are just ground up rock, just like table salt and, and wow. then there's sea salt. So my choice for electrolytes, okay. well, sea salt. And if you need extra iodine, just add some kelp. Cool. Okay. That is good information. So here we are in Career Nutrition, and today we're going to talk about trees, mice, and Lyme's disease. Two researchers in the Hudson River Valley have identified an early warning system for Lyme disease. They can predict how many cases there will be a year in advance by looking at one key measurement, count the white-footed mice the year before. Mice are highly efficient transmitters of Lyme's. They infect up to 95% of ticks that feed on them. Mice are responsible for infection, the majority of ticks carrying Lyme in the Northeast. One of the researchers, Rick Ostfeld, points out, quote, ticks love mice. An individual mouse might have 50, 60, even 100 ticks covering its ears and face. Lyme disease cases in humans in the U.S. more than doubled from 2001 to 2015. One of the reasons for this Lyme explosion, according to Rick Ostfeldt, is climate change and the surge in mice populations. 
But another huge factor, according to Osfeld, is what happened 200 years ago. When the Europeans came to this continent, they clear-cut nearly all the forests to plant crops and raise livestock. They also cleared trees for commercial use, including shipbuilding, masts, and for houses and firewood. In her book, Bark Skins by Annie Prowl, she highlights the destruction of North America old-growth forests by the French and English colonists. To build one English ship took 20 acres of pine trees. Although the forests have come back in places, it is not the same forest it was 200 years ago. Today, the forest is broken into little pieces with roads, farms, and housing developments. Areas of patchy woods, which are common in cities and suburban areas, are not the forests that support predators. These areas are now known as fragmented forests, which have been a boom for the mice because predators such as foxes, hawks, and owls need big forests to survive. According to the researchers, all these little patches of forest dotting the Northeast have basically turned into lime factories spilling over with infected ticks. Forest patches smaller than three acres had an average of three times as many ticks as did larger fragments and seven times more infected ticks. According to the National Science Foundation, as many as 80% of the ticks in the smallest patches were infected, the highest rate scientists have ever seen. The ticks may also be infected with other emerging diseases like anaplasmosis and encephalitis. One study suggests that increasing the size of forests and avoiding fragments smaller than five acres could help reduce the spread of limes. Lyme's disease is caused by a bacterium, Borrelia burgdorferi. Ticks get infected with Borrelia burgdorferi from a host. The most prolific hosts are white-footed mouse, eastern chipmunks, and shrews. White-footed mice are the principal natural reservoirs for Lyme disease bacteria. They infect between 40 to 90% of tick-feeding larvae. Ticks have three life stages, larva, nymph, and adult. When ticks hatch into larvae, the bacteria that causes Lyme disease is not present. But for the larva to grow into a nymph, it needs blood. If it gets its blood meal from a mouse, the larva picks up the bacteria. The larva grows into a nymph and waits for its next host so it can get a blood meal necessary to grow into an adult. Interestingly, larvae that feed on mice are more likely to survive, capable of transmitting Lyme bacteria one year later. While we often blame the deer for ticks and spreading Lyme disease, the white-footed mouse is the major carrier of the bacterium Borrelia burgdorferi. A study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, 2012, looked at four states with a high prevalence of the disease, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Where there were fewer foxes, there were higher numbers of Lyme disease. The researchers also looked at coyotes, who have tended to displace foxes. Where there are more coyotes, the fox population falls, which means an increase in more white-footed mice. What was once called the deer tick is now known as the black-legged tick. When the tick was called a deer tick, it perpetuated a false belief that deer alone are responsible for Lyme disease. 
Scientists have warned that in areas where deer have been hunted, these areas have larger number of ticks looking for a new host in the absence of deer. This leaves humans and dogs and horses more vulnerable. When the deer population is reduced by as much as 86% or as low as nine deer per square mile, the tick numbers do not decline. Remember, deer don't transmit the Lyme bacterium to ticks. The white-footed mice do. Chickens are excellent tick eaters. Guinea hens are even better than chickens, but they are very noisy and ridiculously independent. Chickens attract foxes, especially when the foxes get tired of eating white-footed mice. Check your horse's mane and tail as well as head, throat, latch, belly, fetlocks, and under the tail. Protecting dogs from ticks. Um, I've tried the Ceresto collar. It worked well for about four months. My dogs are in and out of water, so it is not surprising that the Ceresto collar, which is supposed to last eight months, only worked for half that time on my dogs. I have found that Frontline no longer works, and evidently this is true for a lot of dogs in New England. Customers have told me that Advantix 2 works well as a topical, but I still keep going back to Ceresto every year. Dogs Naturally magazine suggests adding apple cider vinegar to the dog's water bowl during tick season. Apple cider vinegar increases acidity of the blood pH, making it less attractive to both fleas and ticks. Add two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, the brand brags with the mother, once or twice per day. And of course, deticking your dog is essential. If your dog or horse is getting treated for Lyme disease with antibiotics as a doxy or minocycline, it is important to support the immune system and the GI tract. This is a case for bovine colostrum with the PRPs that regulate the thymus gland, which is the master of the immune system. Immune support is very important for animals and humans who contact Lyme. Providing active live probiotics is essential in maintaining a balance of healthy microorganisms in the gut. Make sure you don't give probiotics at the same time you give antibiotics. Separate the probiotics by several hours from the administration of the antibiotics. When the course of antibiotics is over, give an additional two-week course of probiotics. Don't forget the bananas. Bananas are a wonderful prebiotic food for the gut microorganisms. Giving a couple of slices of banana to your dog when the dog is being treated for Lyme is a great way to support the existing colonies in the GI tract. For horses, give one whole banana without the peel. The 2020 Lyme forecast for this year, according to Dr. Ostfeld, is is he expects it to be an average or slightly below average year for ticks. The acorn signal for next year, though, is very clear. Quote, Last year was a huge acorn year, so we would expect 2021 to be a really bad Lyme year. (laughs) Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. 
Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. So here we are at Coffee Clatch, and our topic is, if your dog could give you advice, what would he or she tell you? Patty P., what would your dogs tell you? Well, first and foremost, as a whole, as a group, my dogs would tell me things individually, for sure. But as a whole, I think that they they think that I should give them more treats, which is kind of interesting because I feel like I give them a lot of treats, but I feel like they really would like... They would like more, more, they would, they would like me to be more present and be able to give them more treats more continuously. But I think individually, my, both of my Aussies would love for me to be more interactive while throwing the ball. Like they would, they, you know, they, they would like me to not interactive. They would like me to actually throw the ball for them more often. They would come How about advice they, for you, they, to you as a human, you know, if, if, if they could tell you a oh, helpful hint, yeah, oh, it would improve they, your, stay your, <laughs> stay home work ah. to, to help improve every stay home work, stay home work, chill out a little bit more, stay home work for sure. Hands down. All of them would tell me that. Yeah. How about you, Tigger? How about you, Tigger? Oh, they would definitely get off the cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> that would be number one. And I I also think that they would, at least one or two would would tell me that I don't sleep enough. In other words, mm-hmm. I don't chill out enough. Yes, that's, that's yeah, I get that. I totally and, get that. you know, sometimes they look at me and I, I swear to God, they, they're the eyes of a, like a psychologist is looking at me. <laughs> You know, I know what you're thinking, and that's not a good idea. Yeah. And I, I also think that they, they would tell me that affection is, is really important because I tend not to be o- overly affectionate, and I think they would, they would really <laughs> reinforce that I, I could be more hands-on affectionate. Show us how you feel, mommy. That's interesting. I, I, huh? Yeah, that's right. Please. Show us how you feel, mommy. <laughs> that's we want more hugs. And get off that blooming cell phone. That's right. We want to be the center of universe yeah. all the time. Well, I think they don't think it's healthy, you know, to be attached to a little box no, or a little want to be the center of portable universe. thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how about you, Jennifer? Yeah. Oh, that's easy. Anybody who owns a Greyhound, the advice is always, I'm sorry, honey, but you need more rest, more sleeping. Yeah. Yes. More, we need softer, we softer furniture. We need softer furniture. 
Yeah. Ah, but what would her, what would Gloria's advice to you as a human being be? I rest mean, more. Quality <laughs> of rest, because you would it, as soon as you sit down on the floor with her, because she wasn't allowed on the furniture. Um, you'd sit down on the floor. As you could tell she her in her little brain, she was going. It's about time you figured out how this is done. Come on, join me over here. I'll help you. I'll help you. Come on, come over here. Good. You could just see it in her little brain. Yeah, she wants That's the so whole funny. world to rest that, like that, a greyhound rests. My dogs would would absolutely go into a revolt if they couldn't get on the couch. <laughs> I mean, the couch is like the clubhouse. The clubhouse. It's like the, the, the hangout. That's so funny. And and the great thing about sheets is you throw it over the couch the dogs are on it the next morning you take the sheet off you wash it you put another sheet on no big deal we have a whole set of sheets matter of fact we had two sets two separate colors because we when we had our cat we did the same thing because the cat you can't keep cats off furniture like again no way so we had to do that so we had the, the furniture was all covered with we'd buy a whole set so all the furniture was the same color and then it was time to wash and take it all off and put the new ones on. That's there. good. Okay. <laughs> we, I, I find it. We had it, blue I plaid and we had red plaid. I, I really just don't find oh, animals on the furniture a big deal. Yeah. I mean, for yeah, me if you have kids, it can be a big deal. Oh. Yeah, if you have kids, it can be a big deal. Or if you have if you have older people that like visit you, it can be a big deal. I, I my dogs are allowed on my bed, but I don't let them on the couch. I have dog beds all throughout my house. Like right, right at my feet. Although it's funny, I have these nice dog beds, but my dogs sleep at my feet. Yeah, there we go. Well, if you uh, if you want to share yeah. your your canines' advice to the human race, how do they do that, Tigger? They send us a postcard. And where do they send it to, Tigger? <laughs> they send it to Biostar US One Cleveland Street, Gordonsville, Virginia two two nine four two. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. (laughs) 